0: Welcome to Equipped with Dr. Mario Escovedo. This podcast is designed to equip and grow you as a disciple who advances the mission Jesus started. In each episode, Dr. Escovedo discusses timeless biblical truths. You'll learn how to apply those truths and continue to grow as a disciple of Jesus. So settle in and get ready to be equipped. And now, here's the host of Equipped, Dr. Mario Escovedo.
1: Greetings, blessings, and welcome everybody to Equipped the Podcast, episode number four. I'm your host, Dr. Mario Escobedo, and it is a pleasure for me. I'm thrilled to be able to bring you yet another episode of this podcast. Remember that this podcast and every single one of the episodes of this podcast is designed to equip you to grow as a disciple who advances the mission Jesus started. You and I, we are fellow disciples. We're on this journey together to grow as disciples of Jesus, because I know that just like me, you want to advance God's kingdom on this earth. You want to fulfill your role in advancing the mission Jesus started. So every single one of these episodes, my intent, my purpose, my goal is to equip you to grow as the disciple who advances the mission Jesus started. Listen, we're fairly early on into the, the podcast. This is barely episode number four. so. I still feel the need to tell you that if you haven't listened to episode number one, let me encourage you to take some time to listen to episode number one. You can do it right now, meaning pause this episode and go listen to that first episode or finish listening to this and then go listen to episode number one. And the reason I'm encouraging you to do that is because in that episode, I tell you a little bit about who I am, share some background information about me, my academic training, my ministerial experience. I also tell you who this podcast is for and what you can expect in this podcast. So you might find that interesting, and it'll help you frame this podcast a little bit better, give you an idea, give you some context as it relates to this podcast. Speaking about equipping you to grow as a disciple of Jesus, I've created a workshop, a free workshop. This is a four-part video series that I've entitled The Call to Discipleship. Free workshop that you can get a hold of over on my website, MarioEscobedo.org. And what I do in this four-part workshop is that I look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20, and I look at some principles of discipleship that you and I can extract from that passage and apply them to our lives as we seek to continue growing as disciples of Jesus. And what I've been encouraging you to do is if you Once you get a hold of this workshop, again, completely free at my website, MarioEscobedo.org. Use the information, of course, for your own personal growth, but also use what you learn from that workshop to equip others. Undoubtedly, many of you who are listening to this, you're leaders in some capacity at your church, so you can use that information as you seek to equip others and to disciple others. So head on over to my website, marioescobeto.org, to get a hold of that free Workshop, and there's a link in the description of this episode so that you can go straight there. All right, in this episode, in our equipping time for this episode, we're going to be looking at Isaiah 43, well known passage, and we're going to look at that passage with the intent, as is the intent of every episode, to extract some principles that we can use applied to our lives as disciples of Jesus. But before we get into that, I want to share with you a segment that I call Did You Hear About This? This segment, Did You Hear About This?, what I do is that I look at something that's happening in, in current events, something that's happening in our world today that I feel provides an opportunity for us as disciples to grow, to respond. Listen, we're not of this world, but we're in this world. And so as we see different situations happening in the world, I think it's important for us to think about, to reflect, to pray about how do we respond To certain situations that we see presenting themselves in the world, so I'm wondering if you heard about this. Did you hear about this? And I'm going to reference an article that I found in the online. I think it's an online magazine, or it may just be a website. It's called the Daily Citizen. This Daily Citizen website is part of Focus on the Family, that massive ministry, great ministry, by the way. But they have this article that was posted on their website on January 28th, 2021. And this is the title of this article. And by the way, I'll leave a link to that article in the description of this episode. This is the title of that article. Big tech blocks disagreement with transgender, transgender ideology hyphen. Christians must continue to lovingly speak the truth. Now, in a nutshell, what this article is about is Christian voices being blocked on different social media platforms because of their stance on transgender ideology. And this is, I'm going to read just a couple of lines from this article. Again, you can check out the full article for yourself. Just click on the link in the description of this episode. But the individuals that they're referencing, people who have been blocked from different social media platforms, were people who either tweeted something or posted something on a social media platform that went against transgender ideology. And these uh, big tech companies, Facebook, Twitter, et cetera, stated that these people violated the terms of service, and for that reason, they were blocked from their accounts. And uh, it's, it's 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 worth your read. I really do think it's, it's worth your read. And here's, here's the gist of it, that this is what the article says, that if you disagree with the secular, unscientific ideology of transgenderism, that you're likely to get canceled by big tech. And then it lists some examples. So for example, the Daily Citizen itself, the, the, the magazine or the website that's publishing this particular article, they themselves were blocked from Twitter. This is what they posted on January 19th, quote, on Tuesday, President-elect Joe Biden announced that he had chosen Dr. Rachel Levine to serve as Assistant Secretary for Health at the Department of HHS. Dr. Levine is a transgender woman, that is, a man who believes he is a woman, end quote. That was their tweet. And then they linked to an article uh, questioning the suitability of this individual, Rachel Levine, for the job. And what was the result? Well, Twitter locked the account. And the reason that Twitter cited was the following quote, you may not promote violence against violence against threaten or harass other people on the basis of race, ethnicity, national origin, sexual orientation, gender, gender identity, religious affiliation, age, disability, or serious disease. Now what the daily citizen is countering is, well, okay, we did speak out against transgenderism, gender identity, but we didn't, there's no harassment, no threats, et cetera. Okay. So they, they were blocked from that, their, their Twitter account. They were locked. That that account was locked, no longer accessible. Now, I don't know. I'd have to follow up. I don't know if since then they've uh, regained access to their Twitter account, but that happened and that happened recently. Okay, I'm recording this in February of 2021. This took place on January 19th of 2021. Another example, Dr. Robert Gagnon, he has a PhD in biblical studies from Princeton Theological Seminary, and he is a professor of theology, uh, New Testament, I believe, is his specialty at Houston Baptist University. He was suspended from Facebook for seven days. And he, similar to The Daily Citizen, he wrote something that offended Facebook uh, along the lines of transgenderism. And so what he wrote was Biden's lifting of Trump's, uh, no, hold up. Let, Let me see something that he wrote. Let me scroll down here just a little bit. Yeah. Biden's lifting of Trump's transgender military ban will indeed put women military personnel in the awful position of having to shower with biological males. And then he was also defending a Facebook post by someone else, uh, Laurie Higgins. I I don't know who Laurie Higgins is, but she also wrote something that was offensive, apparently, to Facebook and uh, along the lines of of transgender individuals. That was a second example. Third example listed in in this article by The Daily Citizen is Dr. Michael Brown. Dr. Michael Brown has a PhD in Near Eastern Languages and Literatures. And uh, he has his own podcast. He has a a YouTube channel. The podcast is The Line of Fire. I think he's on the radio, syndicated radio throughout the country, uh, has written several books. He's a a respected uh, Bible scholar. And he wrote this on his Twitter account, quote, will I get punished by Twitter for saying that in God's sight, Rachel Levine, nominated by Biden to be his assistant secretary for HHS, is a man? That was his tweet. And then he later on, I don't know if this was on Twitter or where he wrote this, but it says, it looks like Twitter answered my question. And what he means by that is that he was locked out of his Twitter account because of that tweet. Now, friends, this is happening and this is no longer hypothetical. I think a few years ago, maybe even a few months ago, it, it was maybe something hypothetical. Is it possible that Christian voices will be silenced or canceled from social media platforms for posting according to biblical values? That was a question not too long ago. And it was, it was a hypothetical. There were some people who were starting to ring that bell among them, Dr. Michael Brown. They were starting to ring that bell. They were starting to sound that alarm. Is it possible? And I think they were making the case, Hey, Hey, it, this is a direction we see things going, that not too long from now, Christian voices who speak and defend biblical values will be silenced or canceled on social media platforms. That was hypothetical not too long ago. It's no longer hypothetical. It's happening. It, it's, it's taking place. Now, these are only three examples that I was able to find i'm sure there are many more and what i begin to question what i begin to wonder about is who's next what happens when facebook decides that your church's live stream is offensive because your pastor preaches against sin what happens when twitter decides that your church's or even your personal twitter account is offensive, and is in violation of their rules and regulations. What happens then? What happens when you get canceled? What happens when your church can no longer live stream? What happens when your church can no longer post videos and teachings and trainings on YouTube because you're defending, you're teaching biblical values that, according to these social media platforms and big tech, are offensive they're harassment, they're threatening, what happens? Listen, this isn't just happening with large names, with people with large followings, because these individuals that I mentioned, for example, Dr. Brown, he has, he has a, a fairly large following. I think, well, in, in terms of the Twitter world, it's not a very large following. I think he has about 40,000 followers on Twitter, which in the Twitter sphere, that's, that's not very large, right? I'm not speaking badly about Dr. Brown, just in the Twitter sphere, that's not very large. And uh, the other individuals that I mentioned, they don't have very large followings either. So it's not as if they're going after the largest audiences or the individuals with the largest audiences or the most well-known. No, they're going after relatively small channels. And so it's not out of the realm of possibility that your church's Facebook page can be blocked. That's no longer hypothetical. That is a very real, real possibility. Now, we, we, can, we can fuss about this. We can cry foul. We can demand justice. We can do all sorts of things. And I'll tell you that there are people within the body of Christ who are equipped to do that. They're equipped to take on big tech. And, and that's fine. Personally, that, that's not my role. I, I, I don't, I, I just can't, I, I, I'm not, I'm not equipped that way. I'm not wired that way. I don't think that's my role, but let me, let me offer you a suggestion. And this, this might seem a little bit contradictory to, to what I'm doing personally, but it's not, <laughs> at least I hope it isn't, but here's, here's what I think. I think that as the church, we become entirely too dependent on social media platforms, I think that as the church, we have made our social media presence the primary, and in some cases, the exclusive way in which we get our message out to a world that does not know Jesus. And I think that not necessarily intentionally, And maybe not even knowing that we're doing this, I think that a lot of churches and pastors and church leaders are saying, we're doing our job in evangelism because we live stream our service every Sunday and even Wednesdays, and we live stream our Bible studies. We're reaching the lost that way. And listen, I don't doubt, I don't doubt for a second that some people are being reached. Some lost individuals are being reached through those efforts. But I think we've come to depend primarily, if not exclusively, on those social media platforms for our evangelistic efforts. That, my friends, is dangerous. Because we're no longer living in a hypothetical. It's no longer a question of, will big tech ban certain channels and voices? That's no longer a question. Yes, they definitely will. Now it's just a matter of Who are they going to decide to block next? That's what it comes down to. Now, the whole reason that I do these segments of did you hear about this is not just to gripe, not just to complain, not just to have something to get off my chest. No, it's, as I say in in every, every time I do this segment, the reason I do this is to provide some suggestions as to how do we respond as disciples of Jesus to this situation that we see playing out in the world we're not of this world but we're in this world so as long as we're in this world we have to deal with the things that are in this world and this is a very real concern especially as i hear conversations online and in different podcasts saying if your church is not on social media platforms your church doesn't really exist i've heard that i've heard that and i again i don't i don't doubt that i don't doubt the the effectiveness of well i do kind of doubt the effectiveness of that of that strategy but listen, I use social media myself. I put teachings on Facebook. I put teachings on YouTube. So I, I'm not at all, at all, at all against using social media and tech for getting the message out to individuals. I'm not against that at all. My concern is that we've made it the primary and in some cases, the exclusive way of getting our message to non believers. That's where it gets dangerous because what what's happening and i think i'm seeing this taking place in the church is that we are training the people in our congregations and not even intentional training it's just it's just happening this way we're training the people in our congregations not to worry about evangelism not to worry about sharing their faith with their neighbors their friends their coworkers etc we're we're letting them know look as a as a church we're doing our job we're out there on social media and if if you want to evangelize here's what you can do share our live stream on your personal profile invite your friends and neighbors to watch this and and I, again that that is a form of of that is a way to do things but when it becomes the exclusive the exclusive even just the primary way of doing things that's where we're making a mistake and This this is what it has to come down to. We need to equip. We need to equip the people in our congregations. There's no way around this. We need to equip. This is the biblical pattern that we would equip the people in our congregations to live as disciples of Jesus, not only inside the church, but in places where they work and where they live and where they interact with people who don't know the message of Jesus. And if we are not, as church leaders and as pastors, if we are not actively, strategically, intentionally equipping our church members to live out the life of a disciple of Jesus where they are, then we are doing an incredible disservice to them and to the church at large. So what's the answer to this? Like I said, there will be some who will take on the big tech companies some within the kingdom of God who will have the resources and the knowledge and the ability and, and the desire to take them on. God bless them. We need them in the kingdom. But I would venture to say that that's a very small percentage of people who are going to take on that fight. What about the rest of us? What are the rest of us going to do? Here's where I think that if you're a church leader or you're a pastor, and I'm, I'm speaking to myself here because I'm a pastor myself. Here's where we need to take seriously the call to equip, 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 equip the people in our congregations so that they can do the work of ministry. That's Ephesians 4.12 right there. And if we don't do it, then we are going to find ourselves in a world of hurt because we've gotten to the point that we depend too much and sometimes exclusively on our social media presence as a church to get our message out to the world. So the, the, the answer, how do we respond to this situation? Which again, I'm, I'm going to say this again, it's no longer hypothetical. It's no longer hypothetical. It's happening. It's happening. And I only see that it's going to happen more. What is our response to this situation as disciples of Jesus? We need to equip. And I'm fascinated when you start thinking about the early church and centuries, centuries of church life prior to social media, prior to television, prior to radio. How did the gospel spread? How did the kingdom of God spread in such an impressive manner? No doubt, Christians of every generation used the media, the tools at their at their disposal, but I have to believe that there was a serious commitment to discipling future generations of disciples. And you and I. We're here now as disciples of Jesus. We're simply the result of generation after generation after generation of disciples who took seriously the call to equip and disciple new disciples for Jesus. And, friends, if we don't take that call seriously and begin to take seriously the the call to make disciples and to equip the saints in our church, we're going to see more of a decline in our churches. So my call to you, my challenge to you, especially if you're a pastor, especially if you're a church leader is equip, invest time, invest resources, invest your energy in equipping the people that God has placed under your spiritual care. This is a biblical mandate. This is what we should be doing. And of course, I pray that through this podcast, you would feel equipped that you would be receiving the, the equipping that you need in order to be able to equip others and just for yourself to grow as a disciple who advances the mission Jesus started. So that's the end of this segment. Did you hear about this? And now let's get into our equipping time where we're going to talk about Isaiah 43. We come now to the equipping time of this episode. This is where I present to you a passage of scripture with the intention of extracting some biblical principles that we can apply to our lives in order to grow as disciples who advance the mission of Jesus. And in this equipping time, I'm going to be looking at a few verses of Isaiah 43, specifically verses 16 through 21. Now, just for a little bit of context, what's happening here is we're reading a prophecy of the prophet Isaiah where he's looking forward to the restoration of the people of God after a period of Babylonian captivity. Okay, that's essentially what we're talking about here. And when we start reading in verse 16, we see the Lord talking to the people of Israel and its leadership and and placing before them a vision for something new that he was going to do in their midst. Now, when I start reading this passage reading these verses starting with verse 16 i'm going to get to a verse and you're going to say oh yeah yeah i'm i'm familiar with that because it's a verse that we tend to read at uh new year's eve services we tend to preach on this at the beginning of a new year because it talks about new things about doing new things that god is going to do something new so you're going you're, we're going to see some some verses here that you're going to be familiar with them But I'm going to suggest something to you that I really don't hear people talking about whenever we reference this passage. So let me begin reading Isaiah 43, starting in verse 16. This is how it reads. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Okay, I'm going to stop there. That's verses 16 and 17. Now, obviously what's being referenced here is the miracle at the Red Sea. What's being referenced here is when the Lord split the waters of the Red Sea, the people of Israel crossed on dry ground, and then when the the army of Pharaoh... Tried to pursue the people of Israel, the waters just came crashing down on them and they laid there, like it says, snuffed out like a wick, extinguished, never to rise again. That's what's being referenced here. Now, what's interesting is that that entire portion that I read, part of verse 16 and verse 17, when it talks about that, it's used as a descriptor of the Lord. Here's what I mean it's like, it, it, it's just this long description of the Lord. Instead of saying something like, this is what the Lord says, he who is powerful, he who saves, he who rescues, right? Those are descriptor terms. In this case, the prophet Isaiah uses this long explanation, this long reflection on this Red Sea incident to describe the Lord. How does he describe the Lord? As the one who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together. And they lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out, and like a wick. All of that is one large descriptor describing the Lord. And it's important that in this case, the incident at the Red Sea is referenced, because for the people of Israel, the incident at the Red Sea was, if not the most significant event in their history, certainly one of I'd say the top three, top five, most significant, most important events in their history. This is when God demonstrated himself to be God, all powerful, defeating the army of the Pharaoh. This is when I think, and I'm not alone in my thoughts on this, this is when God became the God of Israel and Israel became God's people. The incident at the Red Sea, that's just such a watershed moment that is referenced time and time and time again throughout the old testament because it's that significant and this this was this was obviously an event to celebrate this was obviously an event to remember and to rejoice and to celebrate every time you talked about it it was just a moment to rejoice and celebrate and this is how the prophet describes the lord now keep that in mind because look at what verse 18 says okay keeping in mind that the prophet just referenced the most significant event in Israel's history, look at the very next thing that he says. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. Now, the prophet in this case is not speaking in general terms when he says former things and stuff of the past. He's not speaking in general. Hey, just forget... Generally speaking, forget the past. Generally speaking, don't dwell on the past. When we read this verse, verse 18, in context, what the prophet is referencing when he says, forget the former things, don't dwell on the past, he's referencing the incident of the Red Sea, the miracle at the Red Sea. Now, this to me is absolutely incredible because the prophet, well, actually God speaking through the prophet is saying you know, that incredible event that everybody talks about, that everybody remembers, that event that is the most significant event in the nation of Israel's history. Yeah. You know that event? Forget about it. Just forget about it. Don't dwell on that anymore. And I, th- this is a head scratcher, right? Th- this is a head scratcher. You're thinking, what? But but why? I mean, aren't Aren't we supposed to celebrate what God did? I mean, wow, what do you mean forget about that? What do you mean don't dwell on that? And then this is where verse 19 comes up, where the Lord says, see, I'm doing a new thing. And now it springs up, don't you perceive it? Meaning I'm already doing something new and you're not not catching it. You're not noticing that I'm doing something new. Here's, here's where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to provide a bit of interpretation of what's taking place here. I think that the people of Israel had elevated the event of the, of the Red Sea, the parting of the waters at the Red Sea, they had elevated that event to be the maximum expression of God's power. This is what I mean, that when the people of Israel thought about the event at the Red Sea, they were thinking this way, you know? that was when god was at his most powerful and and he can't do it again i mean that that's that's the most powerful expression of god's work of god's might of god's power and you know what i, I just i don't think he could match that let alone surpass it i mean that wow that was big and i think that the people of israel had put a lid on god's power and that lid was the miracle at the Red Sea. And they were saying, wow, that was huge. That was significant. And boy, wouldn't it be great if we had been there? Wouldn't it be great if we had witnessed that? And God is saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Forget that stuff. Don't dwell on that. You think that was that was impressive? You think that was significant? Then he says in verse 19, well, guess what? I'm doing a new thing. It's happening now. Don't you perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Now, notice the reversal here that at the Red Sea incident, the Lord made a way through the water and here he's making a way in the wilderness. Right? So there's some parallels, but also some, uh, just a bit of a difference. But what the Lord is telling the people of Israel here is you've limited my power. You think that my power was maxed out at the Red Sea incident and you ain't seen nothing yet. If you think that that was the maximum expression of my power, of my miracles, you are sadly mistaken. So what I need you to do is I need you to forget the past. I need you to forget that incredible miracle that's been passed on generation after generation, because instead of motivating you to believe that I can do powerful things, it's hindering you from believing that I can do powerful things because you think my power was maxed out there. And so through this by telling the people of Israel to forget not just something general in the past but the most significant event of their past. He's saying, forget that because I'm going to do something that that's going to surpass that. It's going to be greater than that. It's going to be bigger than that. But so long as you're holding on to that memory and thinking that that was the apex of my power, You are never going to perceive, you're never going to see the new thing that I will do that will surpass what I did in the past. Now, here's what I'd like to suggest to you. A lot of us as disciples of Jesus, we're held back by things in our past. You know what I'm talking about. There are things in our past that keep us from moving forward. And typically, when we talk about letting go of the past, we quote Paul, right? I I, I leave what's behind and I strive forward. We, we quote Paul all the time, and immediately our minds go to the bad things in our past. And we think about those bad things, those shameful things, those sins that we committed in the past, and we think, you know what, I need, I need to let go of that stuff. I'm never going to be able to advance forward to the new things God has for me, so long as I'm holding on, I'm being dragged down by those bad things in my past. And that's valid. We do need to let go of that. We need to understand that we're covered by God's grace, we're justified through the death of Jesus Christ, and we need to release those bad things in order to advance forward to what the Lord has for us. But this passage suggests that it's not only the bad things in our past that can hinder us from moving forward ever think about that that sometimes it's the good things that god has done in our past that hinder us from advancing it could be something like this you know i remember when god provided that one time when we were we were really hurting financially we we boy and god just showed up I I don't know that he could do that again because that was that was huge. I remember when we needed a vehicle, and miraculously, somebody from our church provided a vehicle for us. Uh, but I I just don't know. I mean that was huge. I remember when God healed. I remembered when I remember when we were in a in in my family and our family we were going through a difficult situation. Someone was was sick in our family. And miraculously, it, it can't be explained other than it being a miracle. The doctors still can't explain it. I know that it was God who stepped in and performed a miracle. Wow, that was incredible. And sometimes what happens is that those miraculous things that God has done in our past, we come to view them as the maximum expression of God's power in our lives. And we say, you know, he did it then, but wow, that was a biggie. That that, that was a Red Sea miracle. That was huge. I just don't know if God can surpass that. Or we think about what God did in previous generations of disciples. We reminisce on the days of old. We we reminisce on the stories that have been passed down to us, and we say, boy, I just, man— I just wish we could go back to those days. And those good things in the past, whether it's in our personal past or in our collective past, those good things that God did in our past, they can become hindrances to us believing what God can do in our future. Again, we always think about the bad things in our past being the things that that trip us up, that drag us down, that keep us from advancing forward. But here the prophet Isaiah, I think, makes very clear that sometimes the good things that God does in our past can drag us down just as easily as the bad things because we think that God has maxed out his power in the past. And so as disciples of Jesus, what do we do with this? Well, I think that we strengthen our faith. And yes, we look at what God did in the past, not with longing, oh boy, I wish, I I, I wish, I I remember those days, but we look at those those events that God did in our past in order to strengthen, to fortify our faith and to believe that God can not only do that, but he can do more. That those situations where he showed up miraculously in the past— those situations, that's not the maximum expression of his power. If we truly believe in an omnipotent God, then his power is inexhaustible. And there's no situation that we will ever encounter, no matter how big, that he will not be able to do something miraculous within that situation. And no matter how many times in your past, He has done something that is incredibly miraculous that you can't explain it other than it is a miracle directly from God. It doesn't matter how much God has done in the past, that wasn't the maximum expression of his power. He's got more. And if you encounter a more difficult situation than what you've encountered in the past, your faith should inform you and tell you, yeah, but he can handle this too. And so we begin to let go of those things in the past, not as ingrates, We don't do it in order to to demonstrate an ungrateful heart. No, we do it so that those things don't drag us down and make us believe that God can't surpass what he did in the past. Rather, we look forward and we say, God, I don't know what you're going to do exactly, but I don't want to miss out. And I don't want to be one of those people whom you question by saying, hey, I'm doing something new. Don't you perceive it? Don't you see it? I don't want to be one of those people. So as a disciple of Jesus, my faith is strengthened by what God has done in the past, and it motivates me. It moves me forward. It propels me forward to believe that God can do even greater things, that he can perform even greater miracles in the future than what he's done in the past. And I think this is something that we do as disciples. We continuously, we always, always, always look forward to the new things that God is going to do, anticipating, waiting expectantly in faith and in hope that what he's going to do in the future is going to surpass, (laughs) this is incredible, surpass what he's done in the past. So my encouragement to you, my challenge to you is do a self examination do a self assessment is there some good thing that god has done in your past that's holding you back from believing that he can do something even greater in the future is there some good thing that god has done in your past that you maybe not even knowing it unintentionally you've converted that that miracle into the maximum expression of god's power if so forget it leave it in the past, don't dwell on it, and look forward to the new and greater things that God has planned for you. Well, that does it for this episode. Thank you so very much for giving me of your most precious resource, your time. I appreciate that. My prayer is that through this equipping time, that you've been encouraged, that you've been motivated, and that you've received something that will help you grow as a disciple. I've equipped you. Now, take what you've learned from this teaching and use it to
0: equip somebody else. And until the next time, God bless you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Equipped with Dr. Mario Escobedo. Our prayer is that what you learned in this episode was both encouraging and challenging. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so that you never miss out on the teaching. Also, be sure to check out additional resources at Dr. Escovedo's website, marioescovedo.org, and on his YouTube channel. Links to both are in the description of this episode. Thanks again, and may you continue to be thoroughly equipped.